0: So this is the season-ending episode, the season finale for John. All right? I started preaching in the beginning of the summer through the Gospel of John and had preached through about 12 chapters of John all summer. And we're going to end this series of Messages in John today. We're going to pick up season two sometime next year. Not sure when or what uh, The reason in your guide there is no uh, scripture or questions is that I wasn't sure how I wanted to end the series. Also, I will, I will tell you that this week I've had a really, really heavy and sorrowful heart. I felt a lot of sadness this week for lots of reasons. And I will tell you what I do when I feel sad and sorrow. I open up my Bible and I just read and I look for a word. And so this week I I didn't have a title, I I didn't have a message, and I just kept reading through John chapter 11, through John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, And then something occurred as I was reading. And there was this one verse that spoke to me, to a deep place in me. John John 11, 36. There is this verse there that I think is a powerful word to us and to me and to our world. And in verse 36, John chapter 11, this is what it says. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much... He loved him. When I read those words, I underlined them. See how much he loved him. Let me give you the context for those words. Jesus was with his disciples, and Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was dying. Lazarus was a personal friend of Jesus, as were Mary and Martha. Jesus goes to to be with them and by the time he arrives Lazarus has died he meets Mary and Martha the two grieving sisters on the road he feels their grief and their sorrow and then says where is the grave where have you buried him he then walks to the grave And standing there at the grave, it says that he began to weep. And when the crowd who had gathered there at the gravesite saw Jesus moved to human emotion and tears by the sorrow of Mary and Martha, and when they saw that he was crying because of the loss of his friend, they said, oh, See how he loved him. Now, this, is, this is, was a remarkable statement because you consider who Jesus is in, in John at this point. In John at this point, John has said over and over again that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the light of the world, the bread of the world, the living water who has come to bring life to the world. And the idea that The Son of God, the one who was God, would be moved by human emotion and sorrow and grief and cry and weep is a powerful thing. To see that God is this loving God who meets us at those dark places in our lives, it's a powerful thing. And as I read that this week, see how much he loved him, I realized that you could basically take that one statement and summarize the whole gospel around that one phrase, see how he loved him. Because when you go back to the beginning of the gospel, John lays out the framework for his narrative by telling us a few things about who Jesus is and who he would be and what he means to us. The first thing he said is that from his abundance, from the abundance of Jesus, we have received one gracious blessing after another. And he says that Jesus was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Unfailing love, a love that will not give up, a love that will not quit, a love that perseveres, a love that will not walk out in tough times, a love that just is unfailing and true and unconditional but also unfailing love and faithfulness, a love that will always be present and always show up. And then he adds these words. That he was God revealed to us. What is God like? God is like this unfailing love, this faithfulness. God is like this abundance of blessing and grace. And that when we see Jesus, he reveals the infinite to us. The stairway between the infinite and the finite. The the thing that bridges the gaps between the creator God and us as human beings. The one who came from heaven to earth to bring us love. He was God in flesh who came to touch human flesh. And it was the demonstration of God saying to the world, see how much I love them. And then you see in the gospel all these people he encounters. First thing he does, his first miracle is performed. He goes to a wedding, and there he meets a couple, and they've run out of wine, and he makes wine. And you look at that story, and you say, see the blessings, see the abundance, see how much he loved them. And then you see him passing through Samaria, and he encounters a Samaritan woman, a woman that he had been forbidden to have contact with. He loves her. He shows her grace. He gives her living water. She gets life and light. And you look at that story and you say, see how much he loved her. See, human flesh, God in human flesh, touching flesh, loving people. And then he meets a hungry crowd on the side of a hillside. They're hungry. They're starving. He feeds them. You look at the story, you say, see how much he loved them. And then he meets a a woman in the temple who is caught in the act of adultery. They brought her into the temple to shame her, to condemn her. He forgives her. See how much he loved her. He meets a Roman official in the road whose son is sick and dying. He heals his son. See how much he loved him. He meets a lame man who's been laying beside a pool for decades, a man who's a virtual outcast. Heals him, see how much he loved him. He meets a blind man, takes some spit, rubs it in some mud, and rubs it in the man's eyes. The man can see, see how much he loved him. God in human flesh, touching flesh. And then we see him at the graveside of a dead man weeping in his grave. What does that mean for you? What it means for you is that in the person of Jesus, we can see his love for you, God's love for you. I look at you, and I know many of your stories. I know where you've been. I know your heartbreak. I know your sorrow. I know about job loss. I know about your aging parents. I know about your diagnosis at the doctor when they found a spot on your x-ray. I know about your struggles. I hear the burdens of your hearts. I hear your fears, your worries, your concerns. And yet when I look at you and I see that in spite of all of it, you continue to stand up. You continue to serve you continue to love that in spite of the evil and darkness in the world you continue to be a source of goodness and light when I look at you and I see you that you have been bent but not broken you stand and serve and give and love when I see it I look and I say see how he loves them I see his love in you I don't know what pain you may be in your life at this moment. Maybe there's no pain at all in your life, and that's a good season. But I bet in the room today there are people who are wondering, you've lost confidence in yourself. You're struggling with an aging parent. I I don't know what you're experiencing right now, but I want you to know that the one who shows up at gravesides and weeps, weeps with you, shares in your suffering embraces you where you are in your life wherever you are but the word for us then is is how will the world know our world sometimes look looks at the word christian and hears the word condemnation sees the church and sees judgment and flee the church You see, I want to tell you, it's our our buildings, our buildings, our worship services, our beliefs do not communicate the love of God. It is our actions that show the world that he loves them. Whenever we show love to another person, it is God in flesh living in our flesh, touching human flesh. When you go to Costa Rica to serve among the poor, the world has reason to say, see how much he loves them. When this church built a house for a member of our church and put him in a new home, see how much he loved him. The only way the world will ever know that God is a God of love is when God in human flesh lives in our flesh and we touch human flesh. And then they will say, see how much he loved them. Now I want you to see something. We see that right there in the Gospel of John chapter 11. We see abundance, we see faithfulness, we see unfailing love. We see God revealing us to who He is in Jesus. But if you turn over just a couple of pages into chapter 13, I'd never seen this until this week. There's this incredible connection to what I just referred to, another demonstration of what I'm talking about. You see, between chapter 11 and chapter 13, Jesus is talking about his death, because what happens? When, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, guess what happens? It brings out the religious leadership, because they say, what are we going to do with him? And so they begin to plot his death. In fact, they, they begin to plot the death of Lazarus, too. Well, because they're concerned that other people will go after him will follow him and that's the truth if you begin to live this way guess what's gonna happen people are gonna start wanting to know more about Jesus and they're gonna start following him too well they want to shut this down and then Jesus begins to talk very openly about what's gonna happen he's gonna go to Jerusalem he's gonna die by the time he gets to chapter 13 he's huddled his disciples around him and they're in the upper room now in Matthew Mark and Luke there is the, the, the communion service that takes place, but John doesn't record it. John records another event. He records the washing of feet. You're probably familiar with the story, but let me set it in this context for you. At the beginning of chapter 13, it says it's Passover and that his hour has come and he's going to return to heaven to his Father's glory. Now, when we read that, when it says he's going to return to heaven, you need to understand that he's not booking a first-class ticket on a flight With someone to serve him champagne and a nice meal. No, his return to heaven is going to be through a path of agony. His vehicle will be a cross. He's going to be the Passover lamb that's going to be slain for the sins of the world. He's going to be laid on the altar and sacrificed for those who are even his enemies. So he's got this on his mind, and he wants to share a tender moment with his disciples. And very, the very next statement in chapter 13, it says that there will be those among him who will betray him, and his name is Judas. So given all that, what would you do? You know all this information. You know, you're in a room with people who are going to deny you, doubt you, betray you. What do you do? What does Jesus do? Jesus does this incredible thing. He gets down on his hands and knees and takes off his robe, and he takes Judas' feet in his hands, and he washes them. Now, when I read that, I say, don't do it. Why do you have to do that? I mean, I mean, don't you know that those feet are going to walk out of that room and walk straight to Caiaphas, take some silver, and then walk him right back to you in the garden, and he's going to betray you, and you're going to wash his feet? Don't take Peter's feet in your hands, because he's going to walk out of that room and stand by a fire and deny you. Some are going to walk out of the room and just keep on walking. And leave you. And then some like Thomas are going to walk out of the room with their feet and doubt you. Really, Jesus? You're going to wash their feet? But even knowing this, what does he do? He gets down on his hands and his knees and washes their feet. There's only one thing you can say when you see that. See how much he loves them? You see, you look at your own life and you look at my life. And the reality is that he does not just meet us in those moments in our life when we are weeping and filled with sorrow for loss and suffering. But the Bible also says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That our feet take us places they should not take us. That we deny him with our actions. We are unloving and kind and filled with pride and selfish, wrong-headed, and we make mistakes. But the wonderful thing about grace is that even so, even so, even so, he takes us in his hands. And he washes us. You know, I was, I was uh, 16 years old when I was washed. He's still washing. He took me in the baptistry and he washed me, he cleaned me up. And every time we perform a baptism in this church, it's a washing ceremony. And what does it mean? When, when a person is standing in the, in the baptismal, it's not just the story of a changed person's life, it's a story of God's love. You look at the person in the baptismal and you see the washing and you say, see how he loved him, see how he loved her. And so like Peter, when we hear that we go, take me Lord, take my whole life, just wash me, cleanse me. So he doesn't just meet us in our grief, he meets us in our sin, in our way, our, 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 our wickedness, all the things about us that are unpure and unclean and, and he continues to love us. And when the world looks at us and sees us, imperfect as we are, and sees that he still loves us, what can they say? But see how much he loves them. So as a church, what does that mean for us? It means it doesn't matter who they are. We just get down on our hands and knees and we just serve. We watch people. We don't. They don't have to be worthy or prove themselves in any way. We just wash them and clean them and give our lives to them. The world is filled with so much religious hatred and religious suffering in the world. And people argue this Bible verse over that Bible verse or this or that or all those kinds of things. But the most convincing evidence of God in flesh is when his flesh is in us and we reach out and we serve. And we say, because he loves me. He reached me. Isn't that incredible, those two scenes back together? Now let me pull you back to the middle. I'm going to sum it up here with this this profound statement that he makes here. In John chapter 12, in the middle of it, he's talking about his death. And then Jesus just drops this incredible statement. And this statement is what it means to follow him. Friends, this is the kind of church that I think we are and want to aspire to be. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. He's talking about his suffering. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. When we offer our life, there is death and loss, and we give up things. We give. It's not easy to follow Jesus, but when we die to self, and we experience loss, and we live courageously, it brings about life. The death of our own ego, the death of our own ambition, the death of our own pride. He laid down his title to give life to the world he goes on and says, and these are hard words. I'm trying to come to grips with them myself. I don't like them. I find them to be difficult. I found them to be true. I struggle with my own will over God's will for myself. I'm a stubborn, temperamental, sinful human being. And these words challenge me when he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. In other words, those who live like this will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity, meaning that what we give away is what we get to keep. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Where is he? Wherever someone is touching the eyes of the blind, Where is he? Wherever someone is picking up someone who is lame and cast aside. Whenever someone has been labeled as shame-filled and forgotten. Wherever someone is hungry. Wherever someone is in need. That is where we will find him. He says, we must be where He is. And it says, the Father will honor anyone who serves me. When I stand before God, the only person I'm accountable to is my Savior, Jesus Christ. Not to any church or to any man, but for my own behavior and my own willingness to give my life away for Him and to love as He's called me to love And to love others. Now my soul is deeply troubled, he says. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, to bring glory to your name. When you hear that story, you say, see how he loved them. And I end season one with these words. Verse 32, he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. God in flesh, touching human